Amen. Let's open our time with prayer. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you've given us a captain for our souls. You've given us truth that can guide our wandering hearts, Lord. And our hearts wander. We admit that. We fail in our own sin. We're captivated by the world and its vices and Lord, sometimes we find ourselves wandering and we don't know where we've gone or how far we've gone away from your will. And we know, though, that we always have a light. We always have a source, a guide to truth in your word. We can always open the pages of scripture and go right back to where you want us to be, which is walking in pursuit of you. Uh, Lord, the direction of our lives growing more and more in our relationship with you till eventually when you call us home and we get to be with you face to face in glory, Lord. I pray that you continue to guide us through your word during this time, through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good afternoon, Summit Bible Church. How can, well, we're coming up on the holidays here, so I know a lot of you are ordering packages, maybe sending packages to loved ones. The question I have for you is how can you be sure that your package arrives at its destination? Well, we have all sorts of tricks and gadgets that we can use to track our packages these days. Amazon, FedEx, UPS all have their delivery guarantees that we bank our money on. Delivery men will even send us pictures notifying us that they have arrived at the destination. Hopefully, uh, the pictures you receive don't look like these ones here. Uh, Yeah. You know, at least they got there, right? FedEx truck threw the dining room uh, wall there and then uh, that mangled, super fragile package. But they made it, right? So they arrived at... The destination. These material things are so important to us, and we want to make sure that they again arrive at the destination we intend them to go. Christians will ask, How can I be sure that I'm going to make it to heaven? You know, some struggle, or some Christians struggle with doubt over their own salvation and are worried uh, when, when there are seasons of backsliding or there is sin in their life, seasons of drought where they just are not growing in their walk with the Lord and then they wonder, they worry, they doubt over their salvation and they may be concerned that they may not make it to heaven. Like somehow their salvation package, if you will, got lost in transit. How can we be sure that we will make it to heaven? How can I be sure that my salvation package is really going to get there? Or God's going to see me all the way through? Today, friends, we have an encouragement from Scripture, a comfort, a security that we can hold on to. Today, we look at heaven's guarantee 
of our salvation. Heaven's guarantee. And I want you to open your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 1. And we move along in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 1 and we are now in verse 11. So Ephesians 1, 11. Heaven's guarantee of our eternal inheritance. I'm going to read the passage from 11 to 14. Ephesians chapter 111. It says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So last Sunday we had two R's, in him redeemed, in him revealed. Today we have two G's. The first G, first point, is in him given. In him given. The package will be received. God makes sure of it. You notice in verse 11, the first two words there, very important, that little clause, in him. We know, and the statement has already been made multiple times, that Jesus Christ is the agent of, through which these actions take place. We cannot separate Christ from any work of salvation. In him redeemed, in him chosen, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, it seems that at first glance here, we have obtained an inheritance that it's referring simply to a package that we will receive. That's at least what it looks like in the English. The inheritance has come to us. That's what it looks like, or that's what it says there in the English translation of our Bibles. And most of the time, 98.6754% of the time, I just made that number up. Most of the time, though, our English translation is sufficient to help us understand the Scriptures. But sometimes it requires a little more digging into the original language. Uh, It was written in Greek, the original manuscripts. And these five words here, we have obtained an inheritance, is really just one verb in the Greek. One word. And for the Greek nerds out there, it is an aorist, passive, indicative, first-person, plural form of klerao which simply means to make a portion or to make an inheritance. This unique form of the verb is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. And so it's difficult to translate. It's written in the passive voice, which means that the subject, we in this case, is either acted upon or, in the passive middle sense, receives the action. So stay with me here. This is how it affects the translation. This verb can be translated in two ways. Either we have been made an inheritance. So, in other words, we are the package made ready for heaven. Or 
we have obtained an inheritance. In other words, we have received the package from heaven. You can see the difficulty. It changes kind of the meaning of the passage there. But don't fret too much because both of these possible translations are theologically true. Amen? We have been made an inheritance for God. Here, I have a couple of passages here. The first option, we have been made an inheritance for God. Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. Deuteronomy 7.6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Then Deuteronomy 32.9, but the Lord's portion is his people. Those who are redeemed by God, chosen by him, predestined to adoption as sons and daughters, are like a gift that God gives himself. Have you considered that? Kind of an interesting thought, that you are a gift that God gives himself. Notice the language in John chapter 6. In fact, turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. Notice the language that Jesus uses when he prays for you. John 6, 37. says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. And then in John 17, sorry, this is uh, God's prayer to the heavens. He says this, John 17, 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. We are a gift made ready for heaven, given to God, given to the Son. And then, In the last days, we know that the Son gives us back to the Father. We are this precious gift, a people made for God's own possession. You know, some of you might struggle with a sense of self-worth. It's because you base your worth on what other people think of you. I'm not worth anything because my husband doesn't love me. Now, I'm not worth anything because my boss doesn't value my work. I'm not worth anything because I'm not successful. I'm not rich. I'm not popular. Well, I'm not worth anything because I can't produce anything. I'm worthless. Christian, listen to this. You are worth more than the world could make you. You are worth everything that God made you. Your worth is based on what God possession, a precious gift to him. 
He predestined you to make you a son or daughter. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He freed you from slavery at the cost of his only son. He cleaned you up, dusted you off, presented you as holy and righteous, a perfect gift. He gave you purpose. He gave you peace. He gave you hope. But ultimately, he made you a people for his own possession, and he's going to receive you personally to himself when he returns or when you die, whichever comes first. Don't stoop so low to find your identity or your worth in what others think of you. Find your identity and your worth in Jesus Christ, who God made you. Made you an inheritance. We are His. So we are made an inheritance. That is theologically true. We know that through the other scriptures that we quoted there. But secondly, we indeed have obtained an inheritance as well. That is theologically true as well. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, it's up on the screen for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Romans 8, 16 The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands, whoever leaves the earthly, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to receive an inheritance from Rockefeller or to receive the inheritance from Carnegie, from Buffett or Gates or Bezos, these billionaires, these rich, wealthy men. And it's a large sum to receive the inheritance from those rich and wealthy men, but to receive the inheritance of heaven. Eternal life. Jesus Christ himself. To know him, have relationship with him, and to see him and be with him one day in glory is valuable beyond earthly measurement. And that is what is in store for you, Christian. That is your inheritance. It will not fade away. It will not perish. It's kept in heaven for you. I am his and he is mine. That incredible hymn written by George Wade Robinson. Now, who do you think got the better end of the deal? I think we did. So both of these statements are true theologically. We have been made an inheritance for God and We have obtained an inheritance that we look forward to in glory. But we now come to an exegetical decision here in this passage. Which translation is it? Which fits the context? What did Paul intend to communicate here? And it was a difficult decision. I'll I'll tell you what, I wrestled a couple days over this. 
commentaries were divided over the issue. Some said we have obtained inheritance. Some said we have been made an, an inheritance. So after lots of study and wrestling with the text and really looking at the context, I, I was able to make a decision. And I believe the context really leads us there. I believe the better English translation is that we have been made an inheritance. And I'll tell you why. It is because of the context. In other words, we are the package that God put together and made for himself in glory. And I'll tell, tell you why I came to that decision. Because one of the greater context of this passage, we know Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14 is God's view of salvation. It's about him. And often the phrase that is repeated is to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. It's God's view of salvation. So it's less about what we get and more about what he did. Of course, we're the beneficiaries. Incredible blessing has been poured out upon us. But the cause, the glory, and the possession is his. I put it this way, the reason that the believer possesses any benefits of salvation is because God possesses them. He has you. You are his. An inheritance made for him. So the greater context leads better to this translation. I also think the immediate context makes more sense with this translation. Let me explain. And you can see it there in verses 11 and 12. We were made an inheritance first, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is just another reminder from Paul on the sovereignty of God and salvation. Remember, there was a decision before your decision. God, according to his purpose, his big plan set forth his plan of redemption to save you and receive you to himself as a gift. And don't skip over the phrase here, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question that this clause answers. Is there anything in your life that happens outside the counsel of his sovereign will? He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Does that mean the good? Does that mean also then the bad? Does that mean even the ugly? Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what God's doing in various circumstances and in different times. There are super lows in our life, times in the dark valleys where it seems as though we can't see God or even understand what he's starting to do during this time. But we can truly believe if God works all things according to the counsel of his will, then we can be certain that he will also work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It means that we can be absolutely certain that God is trustworthy because every detail of our lives is under his sovereign control. It means there is absolute secure hope in our future because God has the whole plan worked out, including the safe delivery of the big package 
which is our salvation, our inheritance. A people redeemed. We were made an inheritance first, having been predestined. We were made an inheritance finally so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. That's our ultimate end, to glorify God. Isaiah 43, 21. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The first cause was God made a plan to redeem a people. The final cause and the end of it all is that we were made to glorify him and to give him praise forever. You read about the scenes of heaven in the book of Revelation. There is a lot of praise and glory going to our great God and Savior. And this is our ultimate end. This is what we were redeemed and saved for. We were made an inheritance, a people for God's own possession, according to his plan, his purpose, and the counsel of his will. From beginning to end, God's big plan. We were made the gift that will be received in heaven when Christ brings us home. Heaven's guarantee. God is going to finish what he started in our lives. So what? That's nice, Morgan. What does that mean for my life now? Praise him now. Give him glory now. With this life, trust him now, even in the midst of trial or tragedy. Hope in him that one day he'll bring you home and it's guaranteed. In him given, and point number two, in him guaranteed. In him guaranteed. Here we are introduced to the third person of the Trinity and his work in our salvation. It's awesome. Look at uh, Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the possession of it, or in our English translation, it says, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I want you to notice the change of pronouns here. Paul was saying we, in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, and he says we were the first to hope in Christ. Do you see that in verse 12? Now in verse 13, he says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. This is just a subtle reference to the inclusion of the Gentiles. Just a subtle reference. I want you to see it there. Paul is talking about we, as in the Jewish people, were the first to believe because, you know, Pentecost and started in Jerusalem and then went out from there and then extended out to the Gentiles. And so as the gospel went out to the Gentiles, they heard and believed also, and so they are also partakers of the inheritance. Two words that are worse that are worth uh, parsing or, or pausing on. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Let's look at that first word, sealed. In more traditional times, in Roman times, one would close an envelope or a scroll message with a wax seal. And the seal served two purposes. 
One, it signifies the authentication or the authenticity of the letter because the wax was pressed with the sender's uh, signet ring. And you could see the little emblem, very small there, on the wax seal. So first for authentication, the validity of the letter. And secondly, just as importantly, the seal would secure the letter until it was opened by the receiver. So if the seal was broken, when it came to the receiver, they would know, well, that the privacy of its contents were, were exposed. So first, authentic. Second, security. So God, the Holy Spirit, validates your faith and he secures your faith. When many were questioning the, authentic, the authenticity, the validation or the authenticity of the Gentiles' faith, Peter stands up before Jerusalem and says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them who? The Holy Spirit. Validity. The Holy Spirit was the clear sign that salvation had gone to the Gentiles was the stamp of authentication, authenticity. What are those signs of authenticity that we can see today in our lives? Well, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, should be manifest, should be evident in our lives. This validates our faith. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These are the signs that validate our faith. It's evidence that we are truly saved if the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in our lives. And it will be manifest in the life of every born-again Christian because every born-again Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. These are the signs of authenticity, that you're truly His, filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is, can you see fruit in your life? Can you see love? Can you see joy? Can you see peace, patience, and the rest? Has the seal proved you authentic, a true believer? Now, the seal of the Holy Spirit is also the security of your salvation. He ensures that we make it to heaven. He is the package protection all the way to the end. Ephesians 4.30, later on in the book, we'll get to this verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, the final day. 2 Corinthians 1.22, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Christian, let me ask you this. Who's stronger, you or God? Who's faithful, you or God? Who does not lie, you or God? Who's going to finish the work he started, you or God? Who holds you in the palm of his hand and will not let you go? Who is able to resist all evil powers and authorities? You or God? God. So find rest, comfort, and joy in the safe and unbreakable seal of God, the Holy Spirit. We're sealed in him. 
And he is our guarantee. Guarantee. Look at that word there in verse 14. You're very familiar with it because you're American or you live in our country. Arabon or down payment. It's the first installment with a guarantee that the rest would come. We credit happy Americans know this concept well. Whether it's a down payment on a house or on a car or furniture, the risk that the lender always takes is the integrity and word of the person who makes the down payment. Whatever the size of the down payment, the lender always wants to be sure that you will make what? Following payments. That's why they run credit tracks credit checks on you to buy a house or car, to evaluate your history of credibility. Will this person keep their promise is what they're asking. And how close can we come to a money guarantee? I want to be sure that if I lend this person money, I'm going to receive it all in the end. Let's take a look at God's credit score, shall we? Let's evaluate his history or credibility. Can he really keep his promises? Can we come to a guarantee of our salvation? Let's start with Abram. I will make you a great nation, God says. I will bless you and I will bless other nations through you, God says. I will give you the land of Canaan. I will multiply your descendants. I will give you... Or I will give your barren wife, Sarah, a child through whom I will build this nation. Did he fulfill his promise? Yes, he did. History validates that. Moses, I will bring my people out of Egypt. I will take them back to the land of Canaan. Did he fulfill his promise? Joshua, arise, go over the Jordan into the land of promise, and though your armies are smaller, I will give it to you and my people. Did he fulfill his promise? Even when Israel was taken captive by Babylon and Persia, he says, I will bring you out. I am with you. I will never leave you. Did he keep his promise? Seeing their ultimate need for a Savior, God said in the Old Testament, I will crush the head of Satan. Genesis 3.15, I will make a worthy sacrifice in him, Isaiah 53. I will blot out your transgression, I will remember your sins no more, Isaiah 43.25. I will redeem a people, including the Gentiles, Isaiah 49.6. I will change them from the inside out and I will write my law on their hearts, Jeremiah 31.33. I will pour out my spirit on my people, Isaiah 44.3. Did he fulfill those promises. He's been faithful on his payments so far. Based on his credit history and a credit score of above 850, his down payment is a first installment with a guarantee that he will see us through to the end. The package will make it safely to its destination Dependent upon the unfailing word of God. What a promise. What assurance we have. An eternal security in the hands of God. One that he holds and not us. Because man, if it was up to us, we would have messed it up a long time ago. But God holds us. 
Jesus says, those who come to me, I will not cast out. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until the possession of it. There's God's big salvation story. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Look at all that God does in our salvation. Let's review. Heaven's view. First, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 3. He chose for himself a people before the world was even made. Verse 4. He planned to adopt children according to his will. Verse 5. He redeemed these children from slavery through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Verse 7. He revealed this plan to us. Verse 9. He made us an inheritance according to his big plan. Verse 11. And he guarantees our arrival through the sealing of his Holy Spirit. Verses 13 to 14. Who gets the glory? Who gets the praise for our salvation? Paul tells us. Praise and to the praise of his glory. Amen? You can rest. You can trust. You can be comforted in the secure plan of God to redeem for himself a people And what a privilege, what blessings flow into our lives being one of those redeemed peoples. Give him praise and give him glory through every avenue of your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we give you praise and glory for the incredible work of salvation that you accomplish and you accomplish through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who came to the earth, lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died on the cross in our place. He was the perfect sacrifice, took the penalty that we deserve, the penalty of death, and he died in our place and took God's wrath for sin upon himself. But the gospel doesn't end there. Lord, we know that he was raised the third day, declaring victory over sin and death. And that if we trust in him, if we surrender to him, if we follow him and believe in him, we can have assurance of eternal life. And this eternal security is placed upon our lives. And we trust, God, that you will complete the good work you started in our lives. And God, I pray that you would light a fire in our hearts to share this good news message with others. That they would see the glories of your big plan of redemption, they would believe in Jesus as well and experience these incredible blessings, the blessings of heaven. We give you all the praise and all the glory because it is all to your name. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.